Election College, Episode 57, Korea, Communism, and Corruption, The Election of 1952. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben. Yeah, Jason. Hey, it's been a really rough road for Republicans over the last uh, two decades. <laughs> yeah, they haven't won much, have they? No, and probably the best thing a Republican could hear in the year 1952 was Harry S. Truman, because he's not very popular. No, he's sliding pretty steadily. Uh, not terribly popular for a lot of reasons, but um, one of them just happens to be the fact that, oh, there's a, you know, a little bit of tension between us and the Soviet Union. Um, there's There's the communism thing. That's kind of a big deal. And um, <laughs> kind of a bit. Then there's a war yeah. too, you know. Oh yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So his his popularity is kind of dwindling a bit, like a lot, actually. Yeah. So back in 1950, Truman pretty much admitted, "Ah, it's just not going very well. I'm not very popular." And in 1952, the best option is going to be for me just to kind of go by the wayside. Which is really interesting because in the last episode, we talked about the 22nd Amendment, and he's the last president who can run indefinitely, and he decides... Right. Yeah, let's like, see. I could just keep doing this forever, or I could not, and he chooses not. Right. So if you remember back in 1948, he's like, hey, Eisenhower, Ike, if I can call you that at this point, I tell you what. Let's have you run for president, even though I'm the president now. Why don't you run for president and I'll be your vice president? How's that sound? <laughs> that would have been awkward. but It would have been a little bit awkward <laughs> just simply because, uh, you know, it had been a little bit of a reversal of what, was pop- what would have been popularly thought at the time. Right. So a few years later, or a couple years later, 1950 rolls around, and Truman's like, Adelaide Stevenson, and this is not to be confused with the Adelaide Stevenson who was the vice president way uh-huh. back when. This is his grandson. He's like, hey, Adelaide Stevenson, the grandson, the governor of Illinois, I like you. I think you should run for president and be the Democratic nominee. Right. So at this point, we see a little bit of you know instability. And we also know that when one party is in office and things aren't going spectacular, we like see a flip-flop almost happen. So the Republicans are like, well, this is pretty much our chance. We've been the underdog. Well, I don't even want to say the underdog. We've been the whipping boy for a couple of decades now. It's time to take this thing back. You remember Senator Robert Taft, right? So before World War II broke out, he's like, let's concentrate on what we're doing here stateside. Well, at this point, World War II has happened, and everybody is coming to terms with the fact that we can no longer be isolationists. So he's like, okay, we're involved. We need to have a foreign policy. We need to 
We need to be active. However, the Cold War, mm, you know, against the Russians and the communists, let's just kind of not get too involved in that. Yeah, it's still, I mean, the Republicans at this point were still um, isolationist in an ideal world. But like Jason said, it was known that we needed to kind of stretch out and to um, have at least uh, a policy in place for protecting ourselves and uh, maybe a little bit for our allies. But when it came to the the Russians, we were, we were really, I don't want to say skittish, but we were skittish. All right. Let's backtrack just a little bit and talk about the entire Republican field that was... There's a, there's a whole field? There's right? a whole field. whole bunch of Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, hey, I want to be president. He got Ike, Dwight D. Eisenhower. He's like, we are very much against communism. We're going to stand up for the United States when it comes to the Soviet Union and uh, the spread of communism. You got Robert A. Taft from Ohio. Who else do we have? Well, there's Earl Warren, the governor of California. And uh, then you've got, remember, Harold Stassen of Minnesota um, from from the last election that we talked about. And he's got still got a pretty good uh, support system built in. It is kind of interesting to me, Jason, how people can, can run for offices. I mean, this is still true today. It's always been true. People can run for offices, uh, not get anywhere with it. And then still have a ton of support. Like it's it's interesting in a good way that people would continue to affirm their values, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah. What it really comes down to is Eisenhower and Taft. Warren was really popular in the West, obviously, because he was from California. And Stassen, uh, he still had some support in the Midwest, but really, if you're thinking Midwest, you're thinking Taft at this point still. Mm-hmm. You've also within the Republican Party, you know, we like to think of Republican as right, um, Democrat as left. But we have to remember that within each party, there's also a, a wide array of people. So you've got the conservatives, Republicans, you've got the moderate Republicans, you've got the liberal Republicans, and then you've got everything that doesn't exactly fit into all of those <laughs> neatly. Right. And we're looking at, you know, we've got conservatives who hate the New Deal programs. Um, you've got the the Republicans who really are, like we said earlier, don't want to intervene in anything. They think that we should pretty much just be completely isolated and let's not dip our toe in any foreign waters. And you've got basically people who simply just want to oppose the Democratic Party, no matter what they do. So we've got a kind of a wide array. And along with each of those different kinds of arrays comes, uh, of course, a a candidate that that supports each of those sides. Right. So in the East, you have the more liberal wing of the Republican Party. And that was led by, you remember Thomas Dewey? He's still kind of around. Yeah. Yeah. He's around there in New York being the governor, doing his thing. And he really represents that liberal wing. Now, it, it's also interesting, too, because in the early 50s, uh, some of the social issues that we would divide parties along, uh, that didn't exist like it does today. So you had uh, some of these values, you know, you say values voters, on both ends, uh, whatever those values might be. But uh, it's very important to note that this this is not politics as it is in 2016, uh, which could be a good thing. So you've got 
East Coast, Midwest, West Coast. Almost sounds like a rap song or a, a dance song going on here. <laughs> but in comes the outsider who has just declared himself a Republican. And that man is Dwight D. Eisenhower. You know, it seems like we probably should have not mentioned him earlier in the show so we could make like a big announcement about him or something. But oh. Yeah. So, guys, if you're listening, just go back in your mind and erase that we mentioned him earlier. And now just remember that we mentioned him. Do, 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 do. <laughs> well, uh, Eisenhower, or uh, it is Ike now, as we're starting to see him called, pulls out a big victory in the New Hampshire primary. And the crazy thing is that he's not, Ike's not even on the ballot. And <laughs> his supporters <laughs> just write him in, which we hear all the time about. Yeah, just write this person in. Yeah, much past your local borough, you're not going to see that kind of um, that kind of tactic work very well. But at this point in the New Hampshire primary, Eisenhower gets written into the ballot and he destroys Taft, who's definitely favored to win. Yeah, so you get some votes here and there for Warren and and Stassen, but really, it's all about Ike. But we get to the Republican National Convention in Chicago, and it's not that clear. So Jason Taft, uh, something kind of interesting about him is, I mean, we've had older presidents before, right? It's not unusual. Mm-hmm. He's 62 when his campaign begins for the 52 election. And he says out loud, like this is campaign suicide for most people would consider that, that in 1952, when he's 62, this is his last chance to win the nomination. Now, whether he thinks that's because no one would ever vote in somebody who was 66 or he thinks that he's going to die or he just knows that he's running out of steam, I don't know. But his supporters just like take charge for him. But all the people in the Republican Party, at least the, uh, the you know, the, the leaders of the party tell him you're you're too conservative. You talk, you're too controversial. Basically, you have too many values you believe in. Uh, to be not be jeopardized by other things in order to win a presidential election. So we see Taft, like, he's in the convention as a contender, but most people just see him as taking away delegate spots for Eisenhower because they pretty much assume that Taft's not going to win and has no chance at, at winning. Yeah, so what ends up happening is the Eisenhower supporters namely uh, Thomas Dewey and Senator Henry Cabot Lodge Jr., they're like, hey, dude, you're stealing delegate votes, especially in southern states, and that's not fair what you're doing. And they propose a deal called fair play. And Taft is like, hey, wait a second. No, this never happened. We're not stealing anybody's delegates. The convention voted to support this fair play uh, by a a good – a good bit, uh, 658 delegates to 548. So what ends up happening is Taft loses a lot of his Southern delegates. And then Eisenhower uh, picks up Michigan and Pennsylvania, who originally were not really committed to anybody. They decide, hey, we like Ike. And then Stassen releases his delegates and says, hey, guys, like Ike. I like him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so there's this there's a lot of contention during this election. And you've got a senator, uh Senator Dirksen, 
uh, he basically stands up. He's he's supporting Taft, in case you couldn't figure this out by the context. He stands up and points at Dewey, who's, you know, still trying to rock the place out and lead everybody um, to the to the right path from what he thought. And he accuses him. Durskin accuses Dewey of leading the Republicans down the road to defeat because he's a respected individual and he's telling them things that people are just sure that's going to make them lose. Yeah. <laughs> and what ends up happening, there's booze and cheers, right, from the delegates, which this mm-hmm. sounds really civil. And fist fights even broke out between some of the Taft and Eisenhower delegates. So after it's all said and done, um, you know, mom comes and helps Sonny boy with his bloody nose. <laughs> I just picture that, you know, he's, he's, there's a few guys who are kind of crying and, and so on. Um, Eisenhower's the victor. And so to heal the wounds caused by the battle, other than your tissues, uh, Ike goes up to Taft, his hotel suite, and meets with him. And Taft is like, okay, congratulations, Ike. I'm still bitter because that deal, it, it just wasn't true. And he did not actively support Eisenhower for several weeks after, con- for several weeks after the convention. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of like okay, yeah, we'll we'll be friends. I'll support you, but not yet. I'm just gonna let it let it fester a little while longer. And so a little while later, they um they met up again, and Taft's like, okay, well that's fine. I know I haven't been supporting you thus far. I will support you now. Um, but you don't have to do this. But I've got a few things. <laughs> I've got a few things I want you to do for me if I'm going to support you. And so, I mean, some of those things are he wants to give Taft's followers. I mean, Taft wants Eisenhower to give his followers, um, you know, some positions if he wins the election, which is not okay to do, if you ask me at least. <laughs> and he wants Eisenhower to balance the budget. Um, and Eisenhower's like, okay, yeah, um, that's fine. But you have to campaign for me. You can't just say you support me, but you have to campaign for me. And, and Taft didn't think that was too big of a deal because uh, a lot of their issues that they had were were pretty much the same. Yeah, they were, were very much on the domestic front in agreement. Um, it was all about, hey, uh, socialism in America. No, let's not do that. The main disagreements were in that foreign policy. So Taft... Let's not be so involved in the Cold War. Cold War. Let's not be so involved in the Cold War. Eisenhower's like, no, we need to defeat the Russians. <laughs> so this really was one of the elections where the role of the vice presidential nominee becomes huge, or the selection of the vice presidential nominee becomes such a big deal. So the bosses the party bosses are like um hmm, who should we select so they choose senator richard nixon he's young he's from california he's a fierce campaigner he's i mean he's spry right he's young he's got the eye of the tiger thing going on he's gonna punch out a bunch of communists (laughs) yeah yeah and he also has ties to the dewey followers from out east he's got some support with the Taft followers in the Midwest and the bosses are like, yeah, this guy is going to 
bring the party together. And just like Rocky Four, where Rocky just pounds the Russian, Richard Nixon. I mean, he's just gonna he's just gonna pound every communist out there. So know that about Nixon at this point. Yeah. Hey, Jason. Um, uh, uh, there's like another party that we should probably talk about: the Democratic Party. Oh yeah, I remember them. Mm-hmm. They've been kind of uh, sidelined here in this um, in this whole thing with Truman kind of going off the beaten path. And we we mentioned that Truman wasn't going to run again. Uh, we mentioned that he was unpopular. <laughs> they, the thing we didn't mention is that um, he had actually started running, uh, maybe unofficially or officially. I don't I don't really know what the procedures were to get into primaries in 1952, and I should, but I don't. But he runs in the New Hampshire primary, and a guy named uh, Kefauver destroys him, like totally the, gets a total upset over him. And then after that, Truman's like, well. I, th- I think I'm going to step out. I mean, I was already planning on stepping out before this, but I'm I'm definitely going to now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Kefauver, uh, good old boy from Tennessee, right? Uh-huh. He's the front runner. And he ends up winning most of the primaries. Um, now, other guys were involved that you'll notice their names, that you'll recognize their names. Senator Hubert Humphrey. Um he won Minnesota, and there was Senator Senator Senator. There was Senator Russell from Georgia who won the Florida primary, and there were others. But the bosses, including Truman, really didn't like Cavalver, and he had all kinds of crazy connections with uh, mafia figures and big city Democratic political organizations, and and the bosses were like. Uh, you're a maverick. You can't be trusted, and we don't support you. You got a few too many connections to maybe communists. No, I don't uh, think anybody accused him of that, but <laughs> <laughs> but that would have been that would have probably been a very uh, damning accusation if they had said that to him, though. I would imagine. So anyway, uh, they start looking around for other candidates, and the problem is most of the other candidates just aren't strong. Uh, we've got you know Richard Russell. He's got a lot of southern support, but he's also in favor. And this is why he had a lot of southern support. He's in favor of segregation, and he's not really a civil rights guy. So, what do you figure? Nobody in the north is going to support him, right? I mean, that's just how things go in the fifties, right? And then you've got Truman's VP um, Barkley. He's seventy-four years old, and the labor bosses are like, uh, "You're too old, dude." And yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, and then we mentioned Humphrey and um, uh, Senator Fulbright from Arkansas. They were also in the mix, but there's only one guy who had few political weaknesses, and that was Governor Adelaide Stevenson from Illinois. Yeah. And like Jason mentioned earlier, he's the, he's the uh, grandson of the former Adelaide Stevenson. So he comes from a pretty well known family. They're respected family. Uh, it's not like he's related to Aaron Burr, who killed a guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow! As the as the vice president, so it's interesting because everybody's like, "Yeah, Stevenson, he's the guy," and Stevenson's like, "Actually, you know what? I think I just want to be governor of Illinois. I want to run for re-election." 
And um, I like Ike. No. <laughs> and I like Ike. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. By the way, I, I like the other candidate. Yeah. So by the time the Democrats get together, and it's kind of funny. I just wonder, Ben, about, you know, what it's like for a city to get a national political convention. It's a huge mm-hmm. deal. And yeah. we've had this happen several times uh, in the history where, you know, Baltimore was seen as the city of the political conventions and so on. But as recent as the late 40s and 50s, you've got the same city that's hosting both parties. And that's what happens this year. So the Convention and Visitors Bureau is like, yes, we did a bang up job. Yes. We got the Democrats. We got the Republicans. We are on fire. The hotels are full. and everybody's happy in Chicago. So anyway, they decide to meet a couple weeks after the Republicans and it's in governor Stevenson's home state, obviously. And this is when it happens. This is when the magic happens. He's got home field advantage. He becomes the nominee. Yeah. They twisted his arm by voting him <laughs> in basically. <laughs> so after, uh, after they vote Stevenson in as the nominee, they figure, oh, well, I guess it's time to, you know, vote for a vice president candidate. So they get it narrowed down to a few guys. And then President Truman steps in and uh, he, like, pulls some strings and everything. And they get a guy who is, uh, he's a segregationist, which that just seems like a bad move in, in the midst of all this. But at any rate, that's who they get. Uh, his name's Sparkman, uh, John Sparkman. And the convention likes him, but as we'll find out, not a whole lot of other people do. Right. So you ready to talk about the campaign? I think so. Okay. So the Eisenhower campaign, they are like, we are going after the ladies. And so most of his radio and TV commercials, they talked about education and inflation and ending the war with in Korea. Uh, they really did their homework and said, these are the issues that women are concerned about. So they're using female campaign workers. uh, They're making phone calls and it seems to work. They're probably also the ones that were in the factory, just stamping out those. I like Ike buttons left and right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Cause that does become uh, kind of the battle cry for the Eisenhower camp. Uh, I like Ike, you know, it's, it's, we, joked about it i think last week sometime it's one of the most well-known slogans for a presidential candidate that i think we've ever had and um well it it ended up being true a lot of people like dyke but anyway eisenhower is just like railing against the things that well make sense to him and to most of the country korea which he wasn't railing against korea necessarily just against you know the war and getting it stopped uh communism which (laughs) nobody likes a communist let's just be real and corruption. Uh, only people who like corruption are the people who are corrupt. So this is pretty much his platform on the, those three things. And also uh, the cute saying, I like Ike. Yeah. So the best thing you can do at this point, if you're a Republican, is just tag those labels onto the Democrats. And the Eisenhower campaign is doing all kinds of accusing of the Truman administration of neglecting Latin America. Uh, they are allowing Latin America to fall into the hands of the communists. And that that's eventually going to come to us. And 
It's not going to be pretty. Um, they said that Soviet spies had infiltrated our government and that it plagued the Truman administration. And as far as Korea goes, well, they're the ones that are harboring communist spies. So what you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so, Jason, this might come as a surprise to you. Hopefully not to everyone else, but Richard Nixon, he's, um, you know, he's the, the vice presidential. No, he's not a crook. No, he's not a crook. Uh, but he's accused of several newspapers of getting a bunch of gifts from different donors to the party. No. Nixon's like, okay, well, I can't be doing this because I'm the guy who, who calls everybody else out for doing crooked stuff. So it can't be me. Yep. <laughs> he's not a crook. He does, no, he's not a crook. He would never, he never admit to being a crook. Uh, he goes on television and he gives a speech. It's actually half an hour long. And he says, um, I, I didn't take any bribes or anything or any gifts that I shouldn't have. We did. My, somebody did give my family a dog and we named him Checkers and my daughters love him. So we're not going to give him back. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, we didn't take any gifts or anything. And like. A billion people, not literally a billion, obviously, hundreds of thousands, and that is actually of people, call the RNC and tell them, please keep Nixon. We like him. We like checkers and the little girls. And they do. They keep him. <laughs> yeah. So really, um, it's kind of funny because this is the first campaign where both parties are using TV ads. And you've got all kinds of new tactics being used and what Ike uses that many of us still know and appreciate today is the whole, I like Ike thing. And they hire Irving Berlin with a feel good animated video with a song. I like mm -hmm. Ike, which is awesome. Yep. And, uh, needless to say, was well, it needless? It's probably not needless to, <laughs> to wrap things up. Uh, the results are just, all in favor of Eisenhower. He wins 55% of the popular vote. He gets 39 of the then 48 states and destroys Adlai Stevenson by about 11% of the popular vote. And right. a whole lot more of the electoral vote. Yeah, as like 83.5% of the electoral vote goes to Eisenhower. So the Republicans are back in the White House and the Democrats are going to try to figure out what to do. You know, I think I know what most of our listeners should do, Jason. They should be like one of our listeners this week. Uh, actually, maybe a couple of listeners this week. I don't recall exactly when things come in, but they should go and leave us an iTunes review. Yeah, it was really cool because this week, Michael, uh, I can only surmise that he is in Pennsylvania at this moment because Michael writes in and he says, Election College is a well-composed show. I am a political science major at Penn State, go Nittany Lions, and this podcast brings a fun yet relaxing twist to learning about the elections in the United States. So we really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's really great to get reviews, and you can leave us a review by going to electioncollege.com slash review, and, or just go to iTunes, whatever you want to do, and that'd be a big favor and encouragement to us. We also want to remind you that we're on social media. And uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by looking up Election College. We will see you again in a couple of days for the election of 1956. See you then.